All right, we made it to the Thursday of family camp. Who's officially exhausted? Anybody in that boat? Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, it, it's supposed to be a lot cooler today. I just wanted to take a moment and thank you for welcoming and just bringing my family into the family to uh, family, the fellowship that you guys have. Uh, we've just had a fantastic week because... With COVID and uh, just the last couple months of life and ministry for us, uh, we could we we needed this week. Um, it's definitely not the most relaxing when you got little kids at camp and navigating nap times and stuff. But it's also been very relaxing just to get away from uh, normal life for a mo- for a, a moment for a week and spend some time with you. You've all been very gracious to me as a, a young pastor, a young speaker. Um, just been. Super receptive, and that's, and that's great. I do have one more gift card, a restaurant gift card for $30. Uh, and this is how you can earn it. I, I want to hear, and we're going to actually come up here, Noah, and use a handheld. Uh, most interesting first date stories. I would appreciate it if it's one that you've participated in, all right? So, not like, I read this one on the internet, and it was amazing. No, no. Uh, most interesting, so that could be just memorable because it's, it was terrible. It could be memorable because it was un, you know, unplanned, something that went crazy midway. But I want to hear your most interesting first date stories. All right, so if you think you have one, come on up. We'll go like junior high testimony time at the end of camp where I'll give you the mic, but if you go too long, I'll cut you off. All right, come on up. All right, anybody else? Come now. I'm going to... I might need to get Londa back up on the keys to sing just as I am a little bit to get people. All right. You, this might. the only one I win. I, I was going to say, like, it's, all right. Come on up. Oh, we've got the red mic here, Noah. All right. Most, come on up. Most interesting first date. Say your name, where you're from, and then your story. Okay, we'll have I'm you scoot Heidi down Fuller. in here. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. And I don't know if this is really a date, but this is how my husband and I met. Okay, great. <laughs> so I was roommates with his sister at college, and she was asking every weekend, will you take me home? Will you drive me home? She didn't have a license. So one weekend, it was her birthday, and I was like, okay, I should take her home for her birthday. So I drive her to New Ulm, Minnesota, where they were living at the time, and <laughs> I had known who Rob was, but we had never had a conversation, ever. Nothing more than, hi, in passing. And after church was over Sunday night, I'm all ready to head back to college. And his sister kept saying, no, just stay. Just stay for pizza. Stay for pizza and a movie. This is what we do every Sunday night. You have to stay. So I was like, okay, pizza and a movie. Okay. And I went downstairs, and everyone was sitting in this circle in their basement. And there was one seat left, and it was next to Rob. Remember, I've never talked to him. (laughs) And I sit there, and I'm kind of like bored through this movie because it was the old Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, classic. Yes. It was really yeah. dull, okay? And I was like half asleep, and halfway, halfway through the movie, all of a sudden, I feel somebody holding my hand. And, Whoa. And it was Rob Fuller. Forward and I never much? talked to him, ever. <laughs> and I left my hand there, and the whole time kept thinking, this is so awkward, this is so awkward, what are we going to do when the movie ends, what are we going to do? And the movie ended, and we didn't talk at all, and I went up to my car, and as I got in my car, he said, 
can I email you sometime? <laughs> we started emailing. The rest is history. We've been married 18 years now. Wow. Dude. Sometimes you just got to shoot your shot, man. Wow, that's crazy. All right. Wow. That is bold. All right, go ahead. Uh, Name, where you're from, story. I'm Amanda Adams, and um, we have been married for 15 years, and uh, we met in church when I was a broke college student, and the way that he tells it, he should probably be telling this, um, because he was up in the sound booth, and um, he says uh, that he looked down and saw this angel, and he just had that thing. The way that I tell it, I was just hungry after church. <laughs> <laughs> I went out and asked my friends, hey, how come nobody ever goes out to eat? And they happened to be busy. And he came up and said, why don't you go down to, that, or go down to the Chrome, and I'll meet you there, and I'll even buy. So um, I was going to eat, <laughs> and, and I just stayed. So you can tell we eat a lot. Excellent. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. Anybody else? All right. Name where you're from and your story. Okay. Millie Bleeker from Ames, Iowa. Uh, well, I was going on this first date, and yeah, my grandkids are up here laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we went to the roller rink, and he came and picked me up. We went to the roller rink, and um, all of a sudden, about oh, half an hour into skating, or maybe 45 minutes, I got a call from my sister-in-law that said, you have to come home and babysit. We have company, and we're going to go bowling. And I'm like, I am at the roller rink, and you know I'm at the roller rink with my date. And they go, well, you have to come home and babysit. Anyway, and so it was really embarrassing on first date to go tell my date that I have to go home and babysit, and he has to take me because he picked me up. Oh, <laughs> that is awkward. Yeah, man. and so he did. <laughs> he took me home, and yeah. And that was how that went, that wow. first date. Oh, sisters are the worst. No, just kidding. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. All right. All right. This actually happened your, recently. Your name and where you're from. I'm John. I'm from Cambridge. This happened recently. So I was talking to this girl, and she, I asked her, do you want to go out on a date? She goes, sure. So she's like, pick me up at 630. So she gives me her address and everything. And I, I got a Corvette, so... I drive there, all the neighbors come out, and this is like 6.15, I'm 15 minutes early. All the neighbors come out surround me, they start talking to me, and it's 6.30. I was like, well, I, I need to get going, guys, whatever. So I go up to the door, I knock on the door, no answer. I'm like, oh, no, did I like, go to the wrong house or something? You know, I text her, I call her, nothing. Here comes her dad pulling into the driveway. He's like, oh, hey, who are you? I was like, oh, I'm John, let's just take your daughter on a date. She go, or he goes, oh, okay, well, nice to meet you, John. He goes, oh, is that your car over there? So we start talking. It's 7 o'clock by this point, oh, and man. we just keep talking, and I still haven't seen this girl yet. <laughs> and, uh, well, here comes her mom into the driveway. She goes, oh, we just, we just got back, you know, from the store or whatever. So I start talking to her mom. I was like, man, it's like 7, 7, 10 now. Where is this girl, you know? Because by this time I've been more been on more of a date with her dad and mom than with her. Right. And uh, I'm just like, oh, man. I was like, so I started talking to your mom. She goes, oh, who? Uh, are, are you here for my daughter? I was like, yeah. She's like, well, let me go inside and check. She fell asleep. Oh. Uh. So it ended up me, me 
and her dad hanging out the whole time until she got ready. So she wasn't ready till about 7.30, 7.45, an hour later, while I just stood outside. So, but, but after that, it all worked out. It was, it was a good time. Oh, nice. That's great, man. You, if you can do small talk with the dad for like an hour, granted having a Corvette helps. Good grief. That's cool. Oh, man. I, uh, I wish I had a couple gift cards. I appreciate all the entries, but I got to give it to the, the Fullers for their, yeah, just their boldness. There you go. All right. Feel free to hold hands during that entire dinner if you'd like. That'd be great. Cool. You were there too at this? Wow. Wow, there's, there's layers to this story. Wow, wow. That'll be, a, that'll be a Hallmark movie if we keep going. Man. Hey, I, uh, we're, we're going to talk today about a subject that's not fun but definitely necessary. If you're going to do a series on God's will and the statements in the New Testament that say this is God's will for your life, we got to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We started Sunday night in the book of James, talking about as we look to the future, instead of being consumed by the unknown, we need to focus on obeying the known. We started the, the mornings off on Monday, looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and that finding God's will starts with a sacrificed life and a transformed mind. We moved to the book of Ephesians, where we saw that when we are spirit-filled, we are following God's will. Yesterday, we talked about the importance of work and how we are following God's will every day that we work hard to honor God and serve other people. But there is no more explicit statement on God's will than 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is God's will. It's as if Paul's saying, I hope I'm not unclear on this, right? For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Today we are going to talk about it being God's will for us to pursue holiness and flee sexual immorality. And I'm standing up here not because I have it all figured out, but I'm just gonna, we're gonna walk through the text today. Let's talk about Thessalonica a little bit. Paul is writing a letter to the Thessalonians. Thessalonica is part of uh, Macedonia. It is a pagan place. It is not known for having a strong Jewish contingent, they were people who had different sexual ethics than what Christianity taught. It's in modern-day Greece, right there. You can see right there. Similarities between Thessalonica and today. Tell me if any of these sound familiar. Back in the first century, Thessalonica, the culture viewed sexual immorality as a normal part of life. It was just a normal part of life. They viewed marital faithfulness as old-fashioned. What do you mean you would 
pursue a relationship with one person and only one person for the rest of your life? Why not pick up a prostitute here and there? Why not explore your sexuality? And lastly, Christian sexual ethics were counter-cultural. Not much has changed, right? We are moving into an increasingly post-Christian society. So the leave it to beaver and father knows best days are in the rearview mirror, right? And so we have to run to God's word and commit ourselves to a Christian sexual ethic. So that's the backdrop for when Paul gives the commands, gives the command in verse 3. And it's kind of like one command stated three different ways. First, he says, for this is God's will, your sanctification. He is talking here to believers, people who have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, people who have experienced the new birth. And he says, this is God's will, that you're made holy. And we know sanctification is the process by which God makes us holy. It's being conformed to the image of Christ, as it talks about in Romans 8. And that is a process. So it would follow logic to say the more we're growing in holiness, the more we're growing in holiness in the area of sexual morality, sexual purity. He goes on to say, this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. What he means here is you put distance between you and sexual immorality. I need Braden and I'm blanking right now. Jay, come on up, all right? So, I was on a search for a really smelly garbage bag around camp, but they do such an amazing job cleaning up here that I was unable to find one. So I just grabbed this one right from outside. There's, there's some, a little bit of trash here. So, Brayden, you have a bunch of garbage. Not that hard, all right? Jay, let's pretend, and I actually did this in youth group a couple months ago before COVID. uh, Let's pretend this is full of dirty diapers. I just raided our nursery, like the diaper pail lining, and I pulled it out. I had kids dry heaving by the end of the illustration. So, uh, Jay, you want to put distance between yourself and garbage. You wouldn't uh, set garbage right inside your bunk, right? So, Jay, you got to put more distance between you and sexual immorality, between you and garbage. The goal isn't to get as close as I can without getting soiled. It's not to get as close as I can without getting dirty and getting the garbage on me. The goal is to put as much distance as possible between sexual immorality and myself. It's not how close can I get. It's not how much garbage can be in a, a show or a movie before I need to turn it off. It's not single people. It's not how far is too far when it comes to physical aspects of relationships. It's how much distance can I put my, between myself and sexual morality. And it's not that we're just running from sexual immorality. We're actually running towards holiness. We're running in pursuit of Jesus. So the more we pursue Jesus, the more distance we're going to put between ourselves and sexual immorality. It's not how close can we get without getting burned. It's how far away can I stay as I pursue Jesus. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Braden. We appreciate it. 
So that's the idea here, to keep away from sexual immorality. And then he states it a third way. Look at verse 4, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. The Christian life is marked by self-control. Because it's not like the moment we get saved, suddenly all desires for sexual immorality, all desires for self-indulgence go away. We have to fight. We don't fight in our own strength, but the power, yet not I, but through Christ in me, as we just sang. But we must practice self-control. Our society says, if it feels good, do it. All the, the movies and TV shows glorify fulfilling all your desires. Listen to your heart. Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So it's not self-indulgence, but self-control. That each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. He goes on in verse 5 to say, Not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. A Christian should have a different view of sexual purity than an unbeliever. If somebody claims the name of Christ but has zero desire to follow Jesus in this area, there's a serious problem. Because God saves us, he wants all of us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 says, uh, our body is not our own, we were bought at a price, therefore we should glorify God with our body. So how this command plays out in the next few verses, how this command plays out. First, we need, how do we obey the command to avoid sexual morality? First, we need to view sexual sin as sin against others. Look at verse 6. This means, he's saying, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you know how to control your own body. He says, this all means, so this is how it plays out. One must not transgress and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. So how does this command play out? First, we need to view sexual sin as sin against others. We deceive ourselves when we think that sexual sin is something that just affects us. It would not be a heartwarming time. It would be a tear-jerking time if we took turns sharing of how we've seen sexual sin rip our families apart. In some instances, rip our churches apart. All sexual sin starts in the mind and in the heart. But it works itself out from there and it damages other people. Sexual sin is against another brother or sister in Christ. It says, take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. If you are married as a Christian to another Christian, your spouse is not just your spouse, it's your brother or sister in Christ. So anything you do to find sexual enjoyment, sexual satisfaction outside of your God-given partner, your God-given spouse, is you are sinning against another brother or sister in Christ. It's also another image bearer. You might be saying, well, I'm just looking at a little bit of pornography. It's been a rough day. That's how I unwind. Or I'm not receiving what I want from my spouse, so I'm just going to go to this outlet. It's no big deal. But anytime you are objectifying somebody else, you're not just objectifying pixels on a screen 
or print on a page. It's another image bear. We are advocating for a lot of things in our society. We are protesting for a lot of things. And there's been lots of really good campaigns against human trafficking. Uh, we did a men's retreat a couple years ago, and we actually talked about uh, God and guns, because you need to pick a really manly topic to talk about at, uh, at a men's retreat. And so we talked about a theology of self-defense. And our pastor, he kind of he did a mic drop that first session, because he called out the guys and said, look, if you're all about protecting your family with guns, but you're allowing yourself to be exposed to pornography over and over and over again, you actually don't have your family's safety as your chief concern. So we need to remember that sexual sin is against another brother and sister in Christ, but even if it's not against a brother or sister, it's at least an image bearer, and it could be against a current or future spouse. One of the most humbling moments in uh, the first few months of our marriage, uh, it was like probably weeks after our honeymoon, and I feel encouraged because I know I married an awesome woman. I also felt convicted in the moment because I wasn't the one to step up and say it. After we were married, we were sitting down on the couch and Nicole just looked at me and she said, hey, now that we're married, let's not, let's not lower the bar for what kind of stuff we watch on TV or movies. She, and that was her way of saying, hey, I love you and I want to honor you, but just because we've uh, been practicing self-control in this area for so long, uh, leading up to marriage, let's not let the bar down. Let's not, let's not allow filth into our home. Let's not put that at the center of our home, at the center of our entertainment. And that was a way for my wife to honor me and for me to honor her. But even if you're not married, you can start to honor your future spouse right now by pursuing holiness, by pursuing Christ-likeness and abstaining from sexual immorality. There is no victimless sin in this area. It always damages people. You might not see the consequences of that damage for a long time. But when we deceive ourselves into thinking it's just a personal thing, we're inviting enslavement to this, to this area. So view sexual sin as sin against others. And more, most importantly, view sexual sin as sin against God. What does it say at the end of verse 6? This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. And so we also previously told and warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. We live our lives quorum Deo, before the face of God. He sees everything. And if we are Christians, we belong to him. When we live our lives before the face of God, we are going to want to honor him in this area. We cannot hide from God. Because God loves us, he disciplines us. What does it say in verse 6? Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. Because the Lord is an avenger, not like the Avengers. I, I, I love that word. That word's been so co-opted by uh, the Marvel movies. The Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. Meaning this, God loves you too much to let you stay in your sin without disciplining you. <laughs> well, we're, in a, we're in a funny stage of life with our four-year-old Molly. 
she, she, uh, she's super sensitive, like super sensitive. Like if I change my tone of voice, not even to like a yell, but just a like I'm serious voice, she'll start to cry. <laughs> I'm sorry, dad, you give me. I'm sorry, dad, you give me. Well, it makes it hard to uh, carry through with discipline because I'm like, well, she's already crying. What's a spanking going to do? Uh, but there was one day, was it at the park? Yeah, last week. She was what we would call lollygagging. So it was time to go to the car. Anybody been in this moment? And suddenly she loses control of her legs. She can't move. Dad, dad, my legs hurt. I can't go. Dad, I want to do that. And we gave her one warning, two warnings. I said, that's it, Molly. When we get home, you're getting a spanking. <gasps> I'm so sorry, Dad. I, I'm so sorry. Mom, I'm so sorry. You give me, you give me. Molly, we do forgive you, but you, sin still have, you still have consequences. The only problem is, is we had to go to somebody else's house to pick up something and then get home. So she sat in that back seat, <laughs> sobbing, <laughs> sniffling for like a half hour. And my wife, you know, she's kind of leaning like, are you, are you sure we have to follow through this? She's, she's miserable. I'm like, I don't want to. But yeah, we got to. We get home, we go to her, go to her room. And I have to, again, apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning. And uh, I didn't, it, was, it was not, I didn't go all out. I felt so bad. But at the end, the next day, we went back to the same splash park. It was, uh, Nicole actually took the girls while I was at work. I get home from work at five. Dad, I went to the park, and when it was time to go, I went straight to the car. I get, Dad, I went straight there. I went fast. Dad, I went fast. <laughs> Little self-righteous, but most of all, really good. I had, I love my daughter. I don't enjoy disciplining. I remember thinking my parents used to enjoy disciplining my brother and I. No, they don't. <laughs> I do. I okay, thank you for that confession. Um, but parents, we know this. We love our kids. And we don't want them setting up autonomous zones in the middle of our town. So we got to discipline them. We have to teach them there's, there's consequences. Oh, sorry. That's, we, <laughs> too soon? Sorry. We, uh... We love our kids, and so we got to discipline them. Brothers and sisters, God loves us. He knows the damage. He knows the, the destruction that sexual sin brings. He's going to discipline us because he loves us. He's going to allow what's done in darkness to be brought to light so that we can be broken and then have him put us back together again. God di love, because God loves us, he disciplines us. Also, because God loves us, he puts godly people in our lives. Look at what it says in verse 7. Or, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 6. As we also previously told and warned you. I hope you have people in your life who love you enough and love Jesus enough to call out sin in our lives. To be able to say, dude, there's no reason you need to be watching that show. There's no reason you need to be engaging in friendships with somebody, inappropriate friendships with somebody who's not your spouse. Dude, that's, that's leading to a dangerous spot. That's not honoring to your wife. That's not honoring to your husband. God puts godly people in our lives. I am very thankful to work on a staff 
uh, pastoral staff where we meet every 8.45, realistically closer to 9 o'clock on Tuesdays, and we sit in our senior pastor's office and we check in with each other. We hold each other accountable. I know I have people who will, will call out sin in my life and people who lovingly I can call out sin in their life too. We have a small group at church. We are able to share with each other our struggles. We're, we still need to be more, more honest with each other, get our requests off of the, the surface level, but we have that accountability. God puts wise people in our lives to call us to holiness. Because God loves us, he puts godly people in our lives. Third, because God loves us, he transforms us. Look at what it says in verse seven. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. There's a reason God doesn't just tractor beam us, laser beam us right up to heaven after we trust in him. Because he has a mission for us. He uses us, even though he doesn't need us, he uses us to make more and better disciples. He's chosen to work through us. But he's also working on us, working in us, making us more like Jesus. And when we view our sin in this area, sin against God, we will also see that God has called us not to live in our sin, but to live in holiness. It says, you have not called to impurity, but to live in holiness. And finally, because God loves us, his spirit convicts us. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, if you ignore me, my, my words on this, you're not actually dismissing me, you're dismissing God who gives his Holy Spirit. It is a good thing to feel conviction when we sin. If you can continue in sexual sin and not feel convicted at all, and feel no remorse, no regret, no twinge of violating God's standards, that is a very dangerous spot to be in. And I would, I would not be loving if I offered assurance to somebody of their salvation when they can continue in habitual, unrepentant sin for years and feel no remorse for it. Because God loves us, he gives his Holy Spirit to convict us. And it's not to leave us in that guilty phase but it's to have the shame that we should feel for sin and then to confess it and find forgiveness in Jesus. We need to view sexual sin as sin against God. Uh, just real quick before I get into uh, next steps. Practical ways to pursue healthy holiness and sexual immorality. Uh, I think it is important in uh, this area to offer specifics without being graphic. But... Uh, just some things that I'm learning, things that I encourage our students is uh, give your spouse full access to your phone. Give your spouse full access to your phone. Your spouse should know your passcode to unlock your phone. Unless it's like Christmas time and you're trying to order something off Amazon without them knowing. Other than that, give your spouse full access to your phone. You used to have to leave your home and intentionally drive somewhere to purchase pornography. Now it's just a matter of a, a couple taps of your phone away. Uh, secondly, set and keep standards for media with each other. We, I mentioned the story of Nicole talking to me. Make sure you guys know before you sit down and pick a show when you're tired and put the kids to bed and you just want to relax, don't let your guard down. Set and keep standards with each other in that area. 
get accountability with teeth to it. And by that I mean this. Don't just find somebody and say, hey, I need to be accountable in this area. Okay, cool. Text you a month later. How you doing? Good. Okay, cool. How you doing? Well, I slipped up. Okay, I'll be praying that you do better. There should be somebody in your life that you can find accountability with where them knowing you, you're failing in this area, that should scare you a little bit. Whether that is a pastor or a small group leader, um, don't put that whole burden on your spouse either. Um, your spouse is your spouse, um, not a policeman. Um, you should have an open and honest relationship with that, but you shouldn't saddle your spouse with undue burden in this area. But find accountability with teeth. I used to think, like in high school or college, that good accountability is just like a bunch, stick five guys in a room who are all struggling with something, and you guys just like share and stuff. It's good to find somebody who's found victory in this area. It doesn't mean that they're completely perfect all the time, but you can tell they're, they're fighting this battle and winning. Ask for accountability with them. It's like if I needed financial advice, I'd talk to somebody who's winning with money, right? Or if I needed to get more healthy, I would find somebody who's demonstrating discipline in the area of health and fitness. So in the area of sexual purity, find somebody who's winning in this area, somebody who's loving their spouse. Maybe somebody who is uh, single but honoring God and just killing it in this area. Find accountability with teeth. And then lastly, I'm gonna step out of my role as speaker and just talk to you as a youth pastor for a moment. Set boundaries for your kids. One of my biggest fears during COVID is you take all the activities away from teenagers, especially teenage guys, and boredom sets in, idleness, isolation, loneliness, and that's just an invitation for sin. You are not unloving to set boundaries on your kids. It is loving to force them to plug their phone in to the, to the dining room wall, the charger, each night before bed. It's okay to take their phones at night. It's okay to have access to their phones. You're not the KGB. <laughs> You're not big brother. You're a loving parent. And teach them that this area is important. But also, when they do come to you and confess that they've sinned, Offer the hope and forgiveness. Embody the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Set up an open relationship where they can talk to you about this. Start that, those patterns earlier than you think you should. <laughs> Fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And continue that because you love them. If you say to yourself, well, it's my, kid, my kid would never struggle with that. I can guarantee he probably is. I've seen in our school, or in our youth group, we have almost even amounts of public school, Christian school, and homeschool, and not one group is immune to, to struggle in this area. Love your kids enough to set boundaries on them. All right, stepping back into the speaker mode. What if I've already failed in this area? God calls this sin, so we must also. Don't excuse it. Don't rationalize it. Don't justify it. Don't call it something it isn't. True change comes when we start to call sin, sin. Agree with God that this is sin. God calls this sin, so we must also. 
Second, run to the gospel. It's not the old Bob Newhart TV clip. I tried, tried downloading it and showing it to you guys. Lady comes in and she struggles with something. You guys know what I'm talking about? She dumps her soul out for two minutes and he's sitting there, you know, as a psychologist or therapist. And he goes, all right, I got two words for you. Do I need a pencil? Yes. Pull out a pencil if you, if you think you need it. Stop it. You know? S-T-O-P-I-T. Stop it. That's not the solution. We can do so much better than that. God does so much better than that. He turns us back to the cross. Why? Because Jesus paid for every single sexual sin. In one sense, that word sexual is not necessary in the sentence, but in another sense, it is. Because for whatever reason, we, we think that God dies for, Jesus Christ died for all of our sins, but then we feel like we need to atone for our own sins in the area of sexual immorality. No, Jesus died for every single sexual sin. He is our substitute on the cross. The price that, needed, that needs to be paid for our sin has already been paid through Jesus. So believe that. Trust that. Thirdly, when we call our sin, sin, and confess it, God forgives. 1 John 1.9 was addressed to believers. If we, as believers, confess our sin, he, it shifts. Our forgiveness isn't contingent upon our character, it's God's character. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And lastly, it's never too late to start pursuing holiness. You might be think, thinking, Jared, the, the sexual purity ship has sailed. I'm so entrenched in this. This has been a problem in our marriage for years. Trust me, it's never too late to start pursuing holiness. Talk to God. Talk to a, a trusted Christian friend. Talk to somebody who can hold you accountable. It's never too late to start pursuing holiness. So what are your next steps today? We're going to give an opportunity in our scripture and action time uh, to discuss these. Maybe it's this. I need to wake up to the importance of pursuing holiness. I've allowed myself just to become lax in my pursuit of holiness. I've heard it said is that nobody drifts towards holiness. We're told in Philippians 2 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. I need to wake up to the importance of pursuing holiness. Second, I need to break off a relationship which is holding me back from pursuing holiness. Single or married, is there a relationship between you and another person? Is there a relationship between you and your phone that is holding you back from pursuing holiness? Third, I need to put distance between myself and sexual sin. I'm floating around the garbage bag rather than trying to put as much distance between myself and sexual sin. And lastly, I need to reach out to someone for help in this area. I need to reach out to, to someone for help in this area. What's your next step? I want us to be people that follow God's will. We don't have to walk around with a GPS. We, God's will isn't this tiny little target on the wall. And if we miss, misalign it and shoot and miss just a little bit, we're completely outside of God's will for the rest of our lives. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have God's will shown to us through his word. Let's pursue God's will in every area of our life. Let's leave no area of our sin unaffected by the grace of Jesus Christ, including in the area of sexual immorality. Uh, and lastly, I need to repent and find the forgiveness that Jesus offers. 
I need to repent and find the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Because he does offer it. He does offer it. Our big idea today, we are following God's will when we are pursuing holiness and fleeing sexual morality. It's a both and. When we are pursuing holiness, we are simultaneously fleeing sexual immorality. And when we do that, we are following God's will. Uh, as we dismiss, here's some scripture uh, or discussion questions. This is one just to maybe get, we've been talking about some heavy stuff. Maybe just come up for breath and uh, ask each other this question. If you could spend two weeks on vacation in another part of the world, where would you go? I've shared with you guys already, New Zealand. There we go. Why is it so difficult to pursue sexual purity in our current culture? Why is it so difficult? How does remembering sexual sin hurts other people actually help us in pursuing holiness? What does godly accountability look like in this area? And what next step do you need to put in place this week? Let's finish family camp mornings well by having discussion in this area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the ability to talk about hard things, not from the position of being an expert, but from the position that your word is sufficient and speaks to every area of our life. Lord, I don't want to be hypocritical in this area. Lord, we have people here sitting today who desperately want to pursue holiness and flee sexual immorality. And perhaps it takes having some open and frank conversations away from the normal patterns of life up here at camp to start doing that. Lord, I pray that we would be people who don't try to attempt victory in this area in our own strength, but run to the gospel, the hope that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are your slaves, Father, and that is the most liberating position we could be in. I pray that you would help us to follow your God's will in this area and other areas knowing that you are sovereign and you are good and you know what you're doing. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.